He's back. President Donald Trump gave his first address since leaving office during this weekend's CPAC in Orlando, Florida. So what did he have to say? What does it mean about the future of the GOP? Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? A lot of things going on. To so many wonderful friends, conservatives, and fellow citizens in this room and all across our country, I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we've begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago, and it is far from being over. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. President Trump back in the fight, back in the mix. A lot of people happy to see that. I was down at CPAC, and I can tell you the atmosphere at that conservative conference was electric for the days uh, that it went on. People were very excited to see each other, to be in what felt like the free state of Florida compared to much of the rest of the lockdown states across the country. Leaving New York and going down to Florida for me was probably the closest thing an American can experience in 2021 to being a East German making their way to West Germany circa 1965. That's what it felt like, at least. President Trump, though, has a lot on his shoulders at this point. He is still believed to be the future of the Republican Party. But what does that mean exactly? The CPAC straw poll had him winning an overwhelming majority, but the presidential election, as we know, is four years away. A lot can change between now and then. And what do we do in the meantime? What happens to the Trump movement, to Trumpism in general? Well, one of the first steps, of course, is to determine that Joe Biden is not the person that the Democrat and the mainstream corporate media pretended that he was. That was one step in Trump's whole process here, describing what we've seen so far so that we can all be very clear, even those Republicans who perhaps never really felt the need to scream MAGA, even those on the right who were never really true believers in the Trump movement, they should see what's going on here with Joe Biden and understand that there are very real ramifications of the perpetuation of these left-wing policies. It's gonna hurt Americans, gonna do bad things for the country. Here's how Trump assessed sleepy Joe Biden month one. We all knew that the Biden administration was going to be bad But none of us even imagined just how bad they would be and how far left they would go. He never talked about this. Joe Biden has had the most disastrous first month of any president in modern history. That's true. Already, the Biden administration has proven that they are anti-jobs, anti-family, anti-borders, anti-energy, anti-women and anti-science. It has been my assessment all along that the single best asset that the Republicans have for unity is the actions or are the actions of the, uh, the Democrats in charge, particularly Joe Biden, and his administration. Canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, sending John Kerry around to clink frothy lattes with people talking about climate change in Davos or in some European capital. Who cares? That's the kind of stuff the Biden team focused on that and essentially destroying our southern border and national sovereignty, kicking it wide open to anybody who wants to show up here. This is what we're seeing 
These are the very radical left-wing policies that we've warned about all along. It's not pro-growth. Look at what the actual so-called rescue bill, which is really just a Democrat wish list bill about COVID. Well, look what it really does. 9% of the money goes to COVID relief. The rest of it goes to whatever Democrats feel like spending money on. So the president's diagnosis of the problem we face from the Democrats was clearly spot on and was rousing for people to hear. But there were a few areas where he really hit, hit home hard, I think. And, and one of them was on the schools. If there's one place where you can see that the lockdown mentality has been an abject failure, not rooted in data or science, but in anxiety, mass panic, and politics, and these days more so than anything, it is the politics of this. It's the teachers' unions wanting to get their full pay for staying at home while pretending that they're so concerned about their safety. Trump, one of the great things about, about Donald Trump when he was president and continuing on now is he just cuts through the nonsense and says it. And here's what he said about schools and the teachers' unions. The Biden administration is actually bragging about the classroom education they are providing to migrant children on the border, while at the same time, millions of American children are having their futures destroyed by Joe Biden's anti-science school closures. There's no reason whatsoever why the vast majority of young Americans should not be back in school immediately. There is no good reason. They can talk about the need for vaccinations for all teachers, but even some teachers unions have said after vaccination, they still don't want to have to have their teachers go into the classroom. Look, some people have viewed this as an opportunity to get work from home, far more comfortable schedule, easier lifestyle for them. Other people get to do the frontline work of making food, delivering packages, providing medical care, being law enforcement, all these things. But teachers get to stay at home and Zoom teach. That's what, while their private school and parochial school, Catholic school peers have been showing up since the beginning of this school year. Out of sheer embarrassment, out of the, out of the desire to avoid shame, teachers unions should all be saying that they will open up tomorrow, but they won't. And Trump is right when he says that this is a scandal. This is an outrage. That's where we are. So what do we do about all this? We've diagnosed the problem. We've got a president, a former president, who says that he's still going to be a part of the Republican Party in very important ways going forward. He said he might run. He left open the possibility that he would win a third time, as he said. But if we're really looking to win this midterm election in two years and then a presidential election in four, we have to be very honest about diagnosing how we got to this point. And part of that is going to be bringing together people on the right around the best of the ideas that Trump represented in 2016, but also some honesty around where Trumpism or the Trump uh, agenda in the first term fell short. What should not happen is what the left would love to see, which is an all-out GOP civil war. A, a dispute, a debate, an argument among family members, but trying to tear each other down and destroy each other's political careers on our side is counterproductive. And certainly founding a new party would be, from a political standpoint, nearly suicidal at this stage. And even Trump said so. I want you to know that I'm going to continue to fight right by your side. We will do what we've done right from the beginning, which is to win. We're not starting new parties. 
You know, they kept saying, he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Good to hear from the president that he understands the Republican Party is the vessel for conservatism. And the way forward is to do the best we can with that. He wants to be a prominent role in that, perhaps even the official leader. Maybe he will run again, but it's not clear that's what he's going to do. So for all the rest of us, it's time to get to work. It's time to take the ideas and ideals that were shared by everybody at CPAC, by all conservatives across the country, make the case, make the argument, stand in the way of the destructive progressive, uh, progressive agenda wherever possible, and push for better options and opportunities from our side, and hopefully take back political power. This is the system we have. We are now playing defense. We can still win. All right, after the break, my interview with the chairman of the American Conservative Union, Matt Schlapp. Tell us all about it. Stay right here. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't know how to invest in real estate while staying committed to my profession. You see, I'm doing a ton of things every day. I'm sure you are too. And when you're busy people like we are, how are you actually going to take the time to invest in real estate on your own? Well, then I found my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me. And now I get a check every month like clockwork. Do not wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how it works. That's doneforyoubuck.com. They will take you through every step of the real estate investment journey from picking the city, the house, getting the loan, getting it all set up with a managing agent, everything you need. Doneforyoubuck.com. One more time, doneforyoubuck.com. The theme of this year's CPAC was America Uncancelled, and I got into what that means with the man who puts it all together every year, my good friend and the chairman of the American Conservative Union, Matt Schlatt. Let's take a look. All right, I'm here at CPAC. You probably get that sense. You can hear the many, many folks all around me. Uh, but I'm joined by the man himself. I think that's how we have to refer to you. I don't know if we call you the czar. You know, the, uh, the, we know you're the chairman. Some Matt people call Schlapp. me the old man. <laughs> call me the old man. Matt Schlapp of the American Conservative Union. He's the chairman of the ACU. He's here with me right now. Matt, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for being here. It means oh, a lot to a lot of people. It is great. Always yeah. happy to come and to it's, CPAC. It's sunny. And we didn't close down. That's a big deal. Yeah. You, I got dragged to my first CPAC by random friends. I think it was now almost 15 years ago. I was a CIA officer. And I was like, I, and they knew, they knew that I was a, a stealth conservative, you know. And they brought me in D.C. And I was like, this is awesome. So here I am now 15 years later actually presenting at CPAC. So Buck Sexton story. not hiding anymore. Yeah. I you know. are what you are. Yeah, you can actually tell people that you're patriotic, you love your country. Once you work in the federal government, you know, you know that you got to keep that on the down low sometimes from the libs that are uh, lurking behind the scenes. Well, that's not true. <laughs> if, you, if you work community. for HHS, they love you. <laughs> but, the, uh, but, you know, Buck Sexton and I have developed quite a, a, a close bond at CPAC. He, I held his phone yesterday. You seemed a little nervous as I had your phone. You I mean, wondered where I was going to go with that. You give a man your phone, you give him your life pretty much. So uh, we got people that are all across the country listening. They're going to be watching the live stream, Matt. Tell me this. What, what is, what is uh, this year um, the thing that is setting the CPAC apart? Well, I do think it's a big deal uh, that 
the title is uh, America Uncancelled because we didn't say conservatism uncancelled. Because I, 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 you know, yes, I run a group that has conservative in the title, but it's not really about being a conservative. It's like, I don't believe in communism. I think Marxism is bad. Like, our coalition could be so much bigger. Like, you can disagree with us on all kinds of issues, but do you think, like, we should have a constitution? How about that one? Right? Like, I they're, do. They're I do, on, actually. They're on our side now, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and then they, we physically were canceled. We were told by the state of Maryland, which has a, you know, one of these Republican governors who's not so good, is uh, it's not safe to do this. Like... No matter how many masks you wear, it's not safe. And That's just strange because I, I thought masks are highly effective. And if you have social distancing as we do really, here and masks as we do here, really I, I thought it was supposed to be highly not effective. Not only is told. the mask apparently not enough to make you safe, now we're told that even when you get the vaccine, which I haven't gotten, my mother's gotten it and she's going to be here. My parents got them. The, uh, apparently that doesn't keep you safe. No. Because even when you get the vaccine, you have to stay locked in a... Your freezer in your basement. Do you know when you're safe, Matt? It's actually when Dr. Fauci says. Yes, that's right. actually the science. Actually, you would have been safe as after he threw out that pop fly at the uh, at the game at the Nats. You would have been safe if you sat by him in the stands when he took off his mask. There you go. Yeah, yeah. and also not much of a heater across home plate. Let's be honest. So <laughs> if you were getting hit by that <laughs> a one, heater. Not, 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 not that a was deal. a cooler. That was not a heater. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm so glad to be down here in Florida. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the show. And we've got a you know a, num- a number of big stations in my in Miami and Tampa and elsewhere across the state. One of the things that we discuss is just what it's like to go from the unfree state of whatever New York, California, to the free state of Florida. How much credit do you think Ron DeSantis really deserves for this? I call him America's governor. Um, he's great on opening up. He's great on using common sense on COVID or Corona. He doesn't like uh, say it doesn't exist or it's a myth. He says no, it's real. But think about Florida. He's got an aged population because it's a place where people come to retire. He's got better numbers than all the governors who shut things down. I said on the stage a few moments ago that some of his colleagues got an Emmy for acting. He deserves the People Choice, People's Choice Award because he's just conservatism, even if you don't like the word, constitutionalism, Americanism, it is just common sense. That's really what it comes down to. You get to make your decisions. If you make bad decisions, you're probably going to have a crappy life. And then don't turn to me to fix all your problems. So the only other person that could also be referred to perhaps as the big guy or, you know, the chief or whatever that's at CPAC would be here on Sunday, I believe. Yeah, Mr. I Donald, think that. Mr. Yeah. Donald Trump, right? It's, it's, either, it's either Mr. Schlapp or Mr. Trump. That's the way it goes at CPAC. So Trump's going to be here. What are we expecting him to say? I know we don't know and no one knows until the words actually come out of his mouth. But what you, are you thinking? You know, I think it's interesting. I think he's trying to figure out, like, what his political role is. You know, uh, how he's going to do endorsements. How does he play this game as a former president? I talked to someone who's a close intimate of his. I won't, I won't say who he or she is, but I do think everyone who's had interactions with him, he's really at peace. He seems like a happy guy, maybe even a happier guy. You know, he's a little, a few steps removed from like this constant attacking that would happen. Um, and uh, and I, I expect that to come through. Just like he's, he's at ease with the situation. I think the left believes that he's like a, a bad, evil, almost demonic person. Well, they don't believe in the devil, but oh, a bad, evil guy. And he, he uh, doesn't recycle. So that means, yeah, that's terrible. right. He's and that he, level of evil. And he doesn't have a fake dog. Yeah. So that, that too, but they, they really do think that like, he's a devious person and, you know, people are a combination of virtues and vices. They're a cocktail of interesting things. And there's so much good and decent and wonderful about the guy. He's such a great guy. Everybody would love to have a beer. He of course wouldn't cause he doesn't drink. 
with him. And so I think that's going to come through on the stage. I, I think you and I talked about this. Conservatives don't overly emotionalize. Mm-hmm. We don't think with our passions, um, by and large. But I do think this is a kind of an emotional moment. They silenced the man. It's, a, it's disgusting. It's outrageous. And he's going to be unplugged. And I think that's going to be a really important moment. Yeah, because of the Twitter ban and, and the other social media platforms that have t- taken the former leader of the free world and said that you don't have access to the digital public square, this will be the first While time. While the Ayatollah can have his, of course. And terrorists can have theirs, and Black Lives Matter can have theirs, and all these people get to have theirs uh, who, are, who have done terrible things, but this, this president can't. And do you think it's fair to say, as we're having CPAC here, that free speech is under the greatest threat in your lifetime, I would say in my lifetime, but I can't speak for others, right now in this country. And do you also feel like liberty is in more duress? Yeah, I just talked to Senator Langford, who gave great remarks on, think about this, how crazy is it that the Abraham Accords, this great accomplishment of President Trump, these Muslim countries agreed to have religious freedom in their countries as a part of those accords while the United States Senate and the United States House is literally taking away our religious freedoms. In this Equality Act, it literally says specifically you can't use your faith or anything to do with your faith as a reason not to be compelled by the government. That's never happened in this country. Matt, thanks so much for uh, putting this all together. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for being here. here. Where can folks who are curious to be able to watch this on a stream or on YouTube? or Well, where- you can go to our website at conservative.org. That's the best place to go. But I'll be honest with you, Buck, we've had some issues already. I hope the center holds and that uh, conservatives, when they come together, and liberals, we talked about Alex Berenson being here, formerly of the New York Times, everyone should be able to speak on that stage. And if any of these companies throttle us, stop us, cancel us, there is going to be hell to pay. And that is what's going to rip this country apart in the end. It'll be these people with power from the left who say that conservatives must be silenced. They will rip America apart, and it'll be irrevocably. And so let's hope that the center holds and they do the right thing. Matt Schlapp, chairman of the ACU. Matt, good to see you. Thanks, Buck. Talk to you on stage. Accusations of sexual harassment against Governor Andrew Cuomo have now been leveled by two former staffers. So can the left's favorite pandemic hero survive this latest round of revelations? Got more on that when we come back. These days, being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in is anything but predictable, and we can all benefit from something reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver that you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home, or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now at 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Don't wait for inflation to start ticking up. Don't wait for the dollars in your bank account to start going down in value. Take action today for your financial future. The Oxford Gold Group, 833-600-GOLD. Governor Andrew Cuomo's political future continues to get uh, more uncertain. Once heralded as a possible future presidential candidate, now Governor Cuomo 
is just trying to avoid investigations and prosecutions. How the mighty have fallen. First, it was the nursing home revelations finally becoming mainstream, as in the corporate media decided, yeah, that's actually a real thing that happened that maybe we should talk about quite a bit more. And now it's two credible accusations of sexual harassment from former female staffers. It's gotten so bad, the governor has even had to apologize, sort of. To talk all things Cuomo, I'm going to dive into right now on The Buck Brief. Our friend Carol Markowitz in the New York Post put it this way um, uh, in an article in Newsweek, which she is a Post columnist. With the latest news of cover-ups and lies in the Cuomo administration, it's not just Cuomo who owes New Yorkers an apology and a commitment to do better and to be more honest. It's the media who covers him. This is essential, everybody. You have to see what's really going on here. Because the media wants to pat themselves on the back. They want to say, look at us. We're willing to hold a Democrat, a powerful Democrat, like Andrew Cuomo to account, but that's actually not what's happened here. First of all, we haven't seen if there are any real consequences about this. But beyond that, when it was useful for Democrats, when they really needed to pretend that Cuomo was a hero and that Trump was a villain, that's what they did. And that's why, yes, now all these different stories and and revelations are coming out, and also when you juxtapose Cuomo's personal conduct when he's in office and and the way that he treats subordinates with the kind of Me Too hero stuff that he held up as the way he is in the past, pretty tough, pretty tough stuff to to look at and and accept was meant honestly at all. Here's Cuomo back in, this is from a while back on, on the Me Too movement. Here's what he said about it. For women, that this administration chronically uh, exemplifies after the Me Too movement, they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, they have always diminished the charges of women, always, consistently, and they're doing it again. To cheapen or ridicule the pain a woman suffers from a sexual attack uh, is disgusting, sexist and disgusting. Uh, to second guess how a woman should have acted after a sexual attack is sexist and disgusting. Uh, I mean, it's just insensitive. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand how the system tortures a person who wants to come forward. Yeah. He doth protest too much about how much he cares about me, too, doesn't he? Not a surprise there at all. But Governor Cuomo has all along, whatever the storyline is, whatever the issue is that's going to be front and center and where he can make himself look like a hero, That's what he pounces on. It just seems kind of ironic that in many cases he is a violator of the very precepts that he is pronouncing on TV. Uh, That was Cuomo before on on Me Too. Here's how he was talking to a local news reporter about a sausage not too long ago. Will you eat the whole sandwich? I will eat the whole sandwich. Yeah? Okay. Sausage. It wasn't like this 15, 20 years ago. It was when Rick Lazio did it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. I want to see you 
I don't know if I should eat the whole sausage in front of you, but I'm definitely going to eat it. The whole sausage. You hear the women who have come out so far, and they have very credible allegations, including uh, a, f a forcible attempt while he's her boss to kiss one of his female subordinates. Um, let me just be very clear. The story about the nursing homes is a much bigger story in terms of the impact that it had. That was thousands and thousands of people who died. And there's a very good chance that some of them died because of the order that Governor Cuomo gave and yet the media was willing to downplay that. They, in fact, were willing to allow him to get away with being some kind of hero during the pandemic and get an Emmy and write a book. But it's only now when there are some Me Too-style uh, allegations out against him that it seems safe for the liberal media to say, this guy might actually have a problem. Here is Maggie Haberman of the New York Times saying just that. Look, hearing Andrew Cuomo apologize for anything is breathtaking. Uh, I have covered him on and off for 20 years, and I can't remember another time when he has done that. I think it speaks to the degree to which he knows he is in real trouble. I think he was trying to avoid having Tish James, the New York Attorney General, end up with an independent probe into what has happened. I think he resisted that repeatedly. I think ultimately he had to throw up his hands and give in to it yesterday. We saw multiple statements from his office come out about uh, such a probe, and eventually he appeared to just give in independent probe now of these allegations who wants to guess that there'll be others there'll be other women that will come forward with stories or at least those stories will be in some way discovered in this whole process everybody knew that andrew cuomo was a bully and a jerk and a thug all along they've all known it why didn't they report on this why didn't they tell the truth about the nursing homes or get on the stories here sooner about the way he treats women Everyone's known about this. Why wasn't this a story sooner? Because in 2020, he was useful for attacking Donald Trump. So he had that special invincibility of being a useful anti-Trump tool. And now that Trump has lost, it's safe for them to pretend they're actually doing their jobs in the media. What a shock. All right, I had a chance to sit down with Utah Senator Mike Lee this weekend at CPAC to discuss the scourge of big tech censorship, one of the central themes of the whole CPAC conference. My interview with Senator Lee is up next. Staying with the theme of America Uncanceled, Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee joined me at CPAC to discuss his legislative fight against big tech suppression and the threat that coronavirus lockdown policies pose to our free speech, liberties, and the Constitution. All right, here at CPAC with Senator Mike Lee of the great state of Utah. Senator Lee, good to see you. It's been a while. Good to see you. So I am angry about some things going on in America right now. I want to ask you about them because I'm hoping you're going to try to help fix them. I believe that's part, that's part of your job, part of your mandate right in the Senate. I want to start with big tech. The suppression of ideas and speech that's going on right now is unlike anything we've ever seen before in this country. Big tech is now effectively acting as a, an arm of the DNC. You're trying to deal with the legislative side of this. You get a lot of pushback from people saying you're either not doing it the right way or not doing enough. You're telling me you have a bill right now to deal with big tech. How do we tackle this giant so that we have free speech again in America? We, we tackle it by identifying what the problem is. We've had at the outset some challenge in the fact that when, when government acts to restrict free speech, we've got one set of tools, the First Amendment tools. When a non-government actor does it, 
uh, ironically, it's the same thing, the First Amendment, that serves as a tool against that. But the way we should address this is by recognizing that while anyone has the power to start a company, start a business, and be liberal hacks, be liberal shills, you know, to, to, to do whatever they want to get their message out there, they can do that if they want. But what they can't do is defraud people in the process of doing it, deceive people into thinking they're offering one service when they're in fact offering another. The bill I have introduced recently in the Senate, it's called the Promise Act, would give the Federal Trade Commission the authority uh, to pursue aggressive enforcement action against any online provider, including especially social media companies, who say one thing about their content moderation policies, uh, say one thing on their policies themselves or through their CEOs, who say, oh, we're not going to tip the political scales one way or another, and then do the opposite, uh, where, where they facilitate leftist speech, but they suppress and deplatform conservative speech. That's what's been happening. Would that open up then the lawsuits that seem to be necessary to get these big tech companies to stop the obvious suppression of some ideas they don't like? I mean, what, what would be actions, what would be the teeth in yeah. the bill? Oh, okay, so the action would be an order from the Federal Trade Commission, which would then have the power to issue heavy fines uh, and, and otherwise punish companies that do this. There was another proposal that we considered a few months ago that I still think has some potential, if we could get enough votes on it, uh, th that we were working on on the Senate Judiciary Committee on which I sit, that would uh, itself open up a private right of action for aggrieved persons against some of these individuals. This, this bill uh, deals with it from the government end, and it gives the government the enforcement authority to go after companies that deceive their would-be customers. What about Section 230 in all of this? It got a lot of attention in the last year of, of Trump's presidency. Obviously, Democrats aren't talking about it a lot right now. What's your position now on it, and would it be enough or would it be wise even to remove Section 230 protection from these companies so that, th that for everyone listening, this is the publisher versus platform dichotomy that's allowed them to, as people say, have their cake and eat it too on this issue, where right. they're not liable for pretty much anything posted on their sites, which is understandable because third parties have to be able to use them and interact with them, but then they also decide, well, we're, we're going to actually act as publisher on an, in an editorial sense as well. Yeah. So how do you view this? We don't want them to have their cake and eat it too. And uh, I think significant reform to 230 is necessary. And that's uh, one of the things that we were undertaking in the Judiciary Committee last year where we cobbled together various reforms to uh, make them actually accountable under it. And in some cases, even to subject them to civil liability by uh, uh, a, a third party and not just by government. If they want to have this advantage to operate online, uh, they need to be clear about what their policies are and they need to be honest and consistent and not political hacks about how they dispense with it. We do have a unique feature today in that most people on any given day might well get a substantial share or even a majority of their information from some online source. Many of them get it uh, almost exclusively through social media. And so a, a small handful of individuals are, are now uh, sort of imbued with the power to decide what information people get access to and which they don't. This came to a head and I had a moment of uh, a real alarm starting in September and October as we got closer to the November election. We saw even more aggressive blatant action by these yeah, social media they suppressed media the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop, yes. for example, and on Twitter. I mean, that is clear. That's really effectively an in-kind donation to the Democrats in an election cycle from Twitter. Likewise with Facebook, with the American principles 
project advertisement that was revoked, taken down from their website uh, because it, it, it went after uh, Joe Biden and, and went after uh, uh, one of the Democrats in the Senate based on a piece of legislation that they support. And Facebook took it down saying, we had to take it down because it lacked context. I asked them, well, in what respect does that differentiate it from any other political advertisement, or for, for that matter, any other advertisement at all? When, when Coke runs an ad, are you going to say it lacks context because in that same ad there wasn't a line about Pepsi or about some other beverage? No, you wouldn't do that. I, I later sat through two hearings with Jack Dorsey of Twitter and with uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. And I asked them about these questions. And they said, well, look, we've got Democrats unhappy with us and Republicans, so we're even-handed, so we're all good. And I said, no, 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 you're not understanding me. Everyone can rattle off 5, 10, 15, 20 examples of conservative interests or candidates or individuals who have been deplatformed or whose speech has been suppressed. Can you name me one corresponding example on the left, even one? They couldn't. Yeah, it's very clear that this is ideologically motivated. And anybody who knows people, as I do, who work in some of these Silicon Valley giants will tell you that the wokeness has really overtaken it. I mean, there even people that understand that this might not be long term in the long term smart for their business model are afraid of getting uh, mobbed by the by the PC police inside their own institution. Okay. We're speaking to Senator Mike Lee of Utah for everybody who's joining us. At Senator Lee, um, at the state level, I know you're you're handling things at the federal level, but you're also a man who understands the law and the constitutionality of these issues. Is there much that Utah, perhaps Texas, other states can do to deal with this? I know, I know Governor DeSantis of Florida had said that he's trying to provide state-level protections. How do you see their role in this? Because while you're in the Senate right now, as we know, the Democrats have a de facto majority. So you, have to, you might have to wait a little while before this bill can get through that you're proposing. What can states do to protect people so that they actually have free speech rights in the digital public square? Okay, so first and foremost, um, it's at the state level where most law enforcement should happen rather than at the federal government. We can't ever allow it to be concentrated so much at the federal level uh, that uh, states don't have authority. Um, it is also worth pointing out here that when someone is defrauded within their own state, when someone is lured in with one set of promises, it turns out to be false, as can, as can be the case with digital online service providers of one sort or another, including social media companies. Uh, that can also be a, a state offense. Uh, in fact, most criminal offenses, most nearly all torts are, are state offenses. So if we analogize this to uh, a, a, a state tort of some sort of deceptive trade practice, yeah, that ought to be something that states can and should enforce on their own, independently of anything Congress is able to put in place. I want to pose to you something, just a, a general question. I want your reaction to it. The statement that the Constitution and individual liberty seem to be under more duress, more threat for the last 12 months in this country, basically since the start of the pandemic, than in living memory. What do you think of that? And why haven't courts stepped up? Why hasn't there been more of an effort to restore liberty, whether it's religious freedom, whether it's freedom of assembly, areas where there's a clear constitutional violation and overreach by these lockdown policies? It's because this effort has arisen during an emergency. And this is one thing that we've got to be clear about every single time we talk. There is no country on earth that has moved in a socialistic direction or toward 
any type of totalitarian regime in the absence of a purported emergency. The existence of a, an emergency, including a global pandemic, is not a reason to disregard the protections of the Constitution. It's quite to the contrary, are a reason to be more vigilant about them than we ever have been. People have assumed that it's somehow okay to restrict the freedom of assembly uh, uh, during the pandemic. People can choose to do that if they want, and, and, and they may want to consider that uh, for one or more health reasons that they may have. That always has to be up to the individual or to the organization uh, in the private sphere. My reading of the, of the Constitution, my reading of that portion of the First Amendment, says that that's not an option for the government. We should never let it be. Senator Mike Lee of Utah, appreciate you coming by. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Buck. Should one-year-olds be forced to wear masks on commercial planes? At least one airline thinks so. That story and more up next on tonight's Quick Hits. You never thought COVID could cost you your home, right? Well, it actually can, because cybercrime, for one thing, is up 75%. And by far the most serious cybercrime to worry about is home title theft. That's right, cyber criminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes, and it's easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title and forges your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. The instant Home Title Lock detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim of this crime and don't even know it. Then use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, code RADIO once you go to HomeTitleLock.com. A family has kicked off an airline flight for failing to mask up their one-year-old, and AOC has some harsh words for Senator Joe Manchin. Those stories coming up right now in Quick Hits. Let's start with Frontier Airlines. It is not a surprise to anyone watching this program that I find masking to be largely ceremonial and religious at this point for people that really believe that that's all that's needed to stop the pandemic. Could it help a little bit? Sure. Does it help a lot? Pretty clear it doesn't. But people have been led to believe that it's really all we need, even though the actual science, the actual recommendations have never said masking alone would be enough. But somehow masking with all these other things together might help a bit has turned into if you don't mask, you're a monster and you're killing people. That's the way it was translated by the lockdown left. Well, that results in completely irrational decision making from adults, from, from airlines as well. And here's a Frontier Airlines uh, escorting a, a Orthodox Jewish family off an airplane because the parents would not mask up their 18-month-old baby. Everything because a one-year-old didn't have a mask. See, the airlines are actually a perfect example of the mentality that has taken over with masking. Airlines are the one place where a lot of us had experienced stupid rules ridiculously enforced uh, before the pandemic, right? You know, oh, turn off, 
turn off your uh, electronic devices because it could block the, no, it really can't, that, that's actually not real. Otherwise, you know, somebody having their cell phone on and forgetting to turn it on to, uh, onto uh, airplane mode could crash the plane. That's crazy. Or even disrupt the communication. It doesn't happen. But these are theoretical problems that are enforced with religious zeal by the airlines because they can. Well, they're the most absurd enforcers of the largely theoretical benefit, if any benefit at all, of masking up kids. Even though, guess what? The CDC says masking kids under two is not necessary and not advisable. Well, what we really need to do is get everyone to figure out what their state and local exemptions are under health reasons for masking and then just start claiming those exemptions. And when someone pushes you on it, say that you have a HIPAA right to not tell them what your exemption is. We need to start using the law against these little uh, petty totalitarians. Or you can uh, cl uh, clap and cheer uh, when they kick 18-month-old babies off airplanes with their families for not being masked. Because it's so dangerous to the people around them. While they're all sitting there drinking and eating and mask up, mask down, mask up, mask down. Obey the idiocy or you're a bad person. That's where we are in this country. Thanks, Fauci. Thanks, Democrats. And it gets dumber. As if that's really even possible, but it does. So I was at CPAC, and I, I'm also somebody, as are some of our uh, producers here on the show, who just really finds World War II history fascinating. I've, I've read a lot, watched a lot of World War II history over the years. One of the most fascinating periods, I think, of all time. So it was quite a surprise to see that somehow the left came up with a theory that what, has, uh, what, what was the main stage at CPAC was an odal rune, which is a symbol, there you go, a symbol used by the SS, the infamous group of, uh, Nazi, um, of Nazi, Nazi henchmen who were at the very tip of the spear of the Holocaust and the uh, genocide of the Jews and, and uh, six million Jews, uh, 11 million people in the Nazi concentration camps. And there you have it. I have never seen that before in my life. Um, I never would have thought that that stage was that on, and I think only a person who's emotionally unwell would see that stage and think, yeah, the red, white, and blue, America, all the lights and everything, it's, it's a Nazi odal rune. But their major news outlets went with this. They even tried to pressure Hyatt, and thankfully Hyatt responded with, we're just trying to let people, you know, have their conference here. We, we, we hate hate, have nothing to do with it. The whole thing is so absurd, but there's nothing too stupid for a woke lib who sees a, a means to power. You have to remember that. There's nothing that's too absurd, too dishonest. If they see a pathway to power, they will take it. And if that means slandering people, lying about their intention, lying about what they're saying or what they mean, they're fine with that. They got no problem with that. It's fine. Oh, gosh. Oh, and there's one more. Let's do Ali Velshi, too. He's a guy at MSNBC. Here's how he describes... I was at CPAC, so I'll tell you what... Here's how he describes what was going on at CPAC. But that's not conservatism. Bragging about actions that led to a right-wing mob storming of the Capitol is not conservatism. Hatred and bigotry are not inherently Republican values. They, they seem to be these days. Any Republican who didn't sell their soul to Trump will tell you that. But let's also be clear. It doesn't matter what they or I think, because when it comes to the GOP... Trump is a king. He's a pagan god, as Michael Cohen told me last hour. 
He won the Civil War within the Republican Party, and now traditional conservatives are paying the price for it. Those thousands of former Republicans who defected in disgust instead of trying to fix the problem, well, they left the party ripe for Trump's taking. A cesspool, racism, otherism, all that stuff. Um, yeah, no, CPAC was actually full of a lot of really nice people coming together to share ideas and see some of their favorite commentators and hosts and writers and just hear some speeches, have some nice meals, be around people of shared belief. Oh, so un-American, right? The right, the freedom to assemble, freedom of speech. The left hates these things now. Remember that. They hate them. All right, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Mr. Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.